The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Well, we are officially celebrating Jesus' birthday here at Broadway Church. Now, I don't know how good you are at party planning, but um, uh, my uh, oldest son was turning six two years ago, okay? And so uh, my wife and I, we decided we're not gonna go to the internet and print off a birthday invitation. No, no, no. We are gonna home make and hand make birthday invites for all of Pax's little friends. So my wife and I, we sit down at the table and we make sure everything's on, like the theme of the party and we get the date and the place and, and all, we put in an envelope, put all his friends' little names on the envelopes. We lick them and stick them and put them in Pax's bag. He goes off to school, hands them out to all his friends at school. And then we start getting all these phone calls from all these confused parents. And they're saying, hey, we, we got this birthday invitation and uh, my son or daughter may or may not like to come. And we're like, I beg your pardon? What? They said, we don't know whose party this is for. There's no name on the invitation. We don't know if it's a boy's party, a girl's party. We don't even know whose party this is. And so we had all these confused calls. So my wife and I, we determined to do better. We said, okay, that's it. Next year, we are going to be on top of this thing. So the next year, we sit down at the table and we say, okay, we got to make sure all the correct info is on these things. We start off by saying, you're invited to Paxton's 7th birthday party. And uh, we put the name, we put the date, we put the time, we put the place. It was a Ninja, Teetle, Ninja Turtle themed party. We said, bring your Ninja Turtle masks. And, and we did the whole thing. We put um, in envelopes and we do the, we stick them. And we write the kids' names on We put in Pax's backpack. He goes off to school. He hands them out to all his friends. And then we get all these calls from all these confused, parents and they say, hey, um, I'd like to register, uh, register, I'd like to RSVP for the party happening on the 10th. And then we get a call from a parent saying, hey, I'd like to register RSVP to the party happening on the 9th. And then we realized that my wife wrote one date and I wrote the other, a wrong date on it. And so we had all these parents RSVPing to different days. We had to call everyone back and be like, sorry, you got the wrong date. It's our fault. We just like part when it comes to party planning, my family is just a gong show. Two days ago, I wasn't gonna share this story, but this this is literally like recent, recent. Like we're talking Friday night. We knew we had this Christmas party to go to. We'd been planning it for weeks. We had a babysitter all lined up. Ash came home from work. I came home from work. We got the babysitter showing up. We, got, we, we were in charge of bringing spinach dip. So we went to Costco, got the spinach dip. We got our baguettes all ready to go. We show up to the party and we were, it started at seven. We got there right at seven. We we're like high five and killed it, babe. And then we realized no other cars were there. And so we we're like, we don't want to be the first to arrive. Nobody wants to be that couple. And so we decided we'll do a once around the block. So we do a once around the block. It's now 7.12. We're like, yeah, yeah, it's cool. We'll show up now. We show up, we knock on the door. We're holding our, pl our platter of spinach dip. And the guy answers his door in his pajamas. <laughs> He's like, what's up guys? What are you doing here? And I'm like, we're here for your party? He's like, that's tomorrow night. <laughs> Date night. So Ash and I went out for dinner. <laughs> And so we had to show up the next, we left the spinach dip there, like put this in your fridge, we'll be back tomorrow. So we had to show up again the next, anyway, party planning, party, it's just, 
It's not our jam. I don't know what it is. We can't figure this out. But, but we love attending parties. So please invite us to your parties. We love attending parties. Have you ever attended a party where the guest of honor sits in the middle and all the invited guests sit around in a, in a circle and they all go around the circle saying what they love about the guest of honor. You go around the circle saying, oh, the gift I see in so-and-so is this. You say, oh, the best thing about so-and-so is that they this. And you go around honoring them. I, I like to think of it as like a, a reverse intervention, okay? Instead of going around the circle being like, this is how this negative behavior of yours has affected my life. Or, or this is what you need to change about yourself. It's the opposite. It's like, this is what a joy you are. This is what we love so much about you. Now, because we're celebrating Jesus' birthday, um, we here at Broadway, what we're going to do with our Christmas series this year is we're going to have a pastor step up to the mic every week here in December, and we are going to honor Jesus on his birthday. We're going to go around the circle, so to speak, and we're all going to tell you what we love about Jesus. So that's what our Christmas series is all about. And today I get the pleasure of kicking it off, telling you what I love about Jesus. Now, what I love about Jesus is displayed in the disciples. Uh, Jesus' 12 best friends while he was here on earth. And there is one disciple in particular that really hones in on this thing that I love about Jesus. And I love this disciple because we share the same name, okay? It's Simon, yes, the, the disciple, we know him as Simon Peter. He later dropped the Simon because Jesus changed his name to Peter. So we know him as Peter. But Peter is the disciple that displays this thing about Jesus that I love so much about him. Now, there's something you need to know about Peter. In case you're not a Bible person or, or you don't read the Bible much, Peter is the disciple who became kind of the unofficial uh, spokesperson for the disciples because he always had something to say, okay? If, if Jesus ever asked a question to the disciples, Peter's the guy that like blurts out the answer, okay? He's kind of the, the, uh, the keener of the group, so to speak. There's this one time where uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples at large and he asks them all this kind of, this question. He says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I know what other people are saying about me, but who do you say I am? And it's Peter, obviously, that blurts out, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. Brown noser, Peter, come on. Of course, Peter's the one that blurts out, kind of answers for the group. But being the guy that always has something to say has its fallbacks, okay? There's another time where Jesus is talking about his, his upcoming death and crucifixion. And uh, Peter, obviously, is the one that blurts out and starts to rebuke Jesus. No, Jesus, that will never happen to you. Nah, Jesus, not on my watch. And then Jesus has to turn and start, he starts to rebuke Peter. And he actually calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. See, being the guy that is bold with your words, it can get you in trouble sometimes. And Peter was the guy that was bold with his words, but it also ends up getting him in trouble sometimes. There's this one time where Jesus is walking on the water, like, ooh, like he's Jesus, walking on the water uh, towards a boat that's filled with the disciples. And the disciples are terrified. They're like, he's a ghost. No, he's a man. No, it's Jesus. And they're walking towards him. And Jesus, um, as he's walking towards him, the disciples go, um, Jesus, if that's really you, it's Peter that shouts out, Jesus, if that's really you, tell me to come out and, and walk towards you on the water. And so Peter gets out of the boat, 
onto the water and he, okay, he's shaky at first and he starts to walk on the water towards Jesus. But because he's the one that gets out of the boat, he notices the wind and the waves and the storm and he begins to sink only to be rescued by Jesus. Peter, come on, man. There's this one time where the Bible calls it Jesus' Jesus's greatest hour of need. This is the night he's gonna be arrested and, and, and then crucified. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to, to pray and he tells his disciples, I want you guys to pray. I want you to stay awake because I, I gotta go do some business with the Father. I gotta pray and, and, um, and, and, and speak to God. And Jesus comes back. There's Peter sleeping. And he shakes Peter and he says, Peter, wake up. He goes, I gave you one job, man. Just stay awake. Just keep your eyes open. And you couldn't even do that, Peter. Come on, man. You gotta hook a brother up. Just stay awake. On the night that he's arrested, uh, you know, this is when Judas comes and kisses him on the cheek. He betrays Jesus. And there, Jesus there is there in, in the garden. The, 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 the armed guards are coming to arrest him. And Jesus is kind of like, I'm not fighting back. I'm, if, this has got to happen. Like Jesus knows. He's, he kind of knows all things, being the son of God and all. And so he's like, I know this needs to happen. I don't like it any more than you do, but here we go. And he's like, okay, arrest me now. And who's the disciple that comes in guns a-blazing, swords a-blazing? He comes in and he's like, no, not on my watch, Jesus. And he chops off the ear of one of these guards. And then Jesus is like, hold up, everyone. Hold up, hold up. Peter, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, this has got to happen. Like, all right, everyone, everyone look for Malchus's ear. Yeah, just everyone, yeah, just, it's somewhere here. Oh, here, Jesus is under a, a, a thorn bush over here. <laughs> okay, and so Jesus takes the ear of this guy and he, he heals his ear in front of everyone. And everyone kind of looks at Peter like, come on, man, really? Now? Come on, Peter. Heals the guy's ears. Later on that same night when Jesus is now arrested and Peter had just declared, Jesus, I will fight with you to the very end. I will never betray you, Jesus. Then that same night, Jesus, uh, Peter ends up betraying Jesus three times. Jesus and Peter lock eyes that third time. And Peter knows what he's done. Now it's right around this time I want to hone in on this, this interaction that Peter ends up having with Jesus. You see, let, let's, let's, let's pick up the story. We're going to pick it up in, in John chapter 21. Uh, like Pastor Darren said, it's at the Sea of Galilee that this, this next story takes place. So this is, let me set the scene for you a little bit. Jesus had just been arrested. He'd been crucified. He'd been buried in the ground and then he resurrected back to life. Ooh, like he raised himself from the dead, okay? So this is all just taking place. The disciples had gone back to their old lifestyle. Since Peter was a fisherman, he'd gone back to fishing with the other disciples. Now, they're out on the boat and they see this guy on the shore waving to them. And they don't, the disciples out in the boat, they don't recognize who's on the shore. It's Jesus, spoiler alert. And uh, the guy on the shore says, hey, have you caught any fish out there? And the disciples are like, nah, nothing out here yet. And the guy on the shore, Jesus, says, throw your nets on the other side. And they throw the nets on the other side. They catch all this fish. And they realize, hey, that random silhouette on the shore, 
that be Jesus. And so they're getting so excited, they start to turn the boat around to go see Jesus on the shore. And Peter can't contain himself because he's Peter. And he jumps out of the boat. I don't know if he thought he was gonna walk on water this time too or something, but he jumps out of the boat. He starts swimming towards Jesus. The disciples and Peter, they all get to the shore and they have breakfast on the beach. Now it's in this uh, breakfast on the beach encounter that Jesus has with his disciples, he has with Peter, he has this little, he carves out this little profound conversation with Peter. And that's what I want to uh, hone in on. That's what I want to drill down on for just a moment. So we're going to go to John chapter 21, start at verse 15. You can read it on the side screens with me. It's on your outline if you have an outline with you today. And if you didn't bring a Bible today, if you don't own a Bible, the Bible in the pew in front of you, that's our gift to you. That is now your Bible. And uh, you can turn to page 757 in that pew Bible, and you can read along uh, holding that text as well. Okay, so let's pick it up. John 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter now was hurt because Jesus had to ask him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So this little interaction that Jesus has with Peter on the beach after they eat breakfast, we know this as the reinstatement of Peter. You see, uh, Peter had just denied Christ three times, and now Jesus is giving Peter an opportunity to kind of redo that threefold denial with a, a threefold kind of declaration of his love. But so much more is going on here than just a reinstatement of Peter. I want to pause, I want to drill down, I want to uh, unpack this a little bit more. Because what's being communicated in this passage of Scripture is what I love about Jesus. As many of you know, uh, if you've been coming to the church for more than a month and a half, okay, we just finished a five-week series called The Purest Love Imaginable. And we started to dissect this word agape. Now, we learned throughout this series, that, uh, throughout that series, that uh, the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek and then translated into English. And uh, in the English language, we have one word for love. What's that word? It's, no, it's love. The English word for love is, is love. Got, got you. <laughs> okay. But then in the Greek language, they have four words for love, okay? And so we started to, to figure out these four Greek words that were now translated into English. The first uh, Greek word for love is the word eros. Now eros speaks of like a sexual love, okay? That's where we get our word erotic from. Ooh. And then the next is storge love. Storge love is like a family affection. It's a, it's a family love, okay? Between uh, a husband and wife, and uh, brother and sister, it's a family love. Then you have phileo love. Phileo love is brotherly love. This is where we get the, the word Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. Um, phileo love is a mutually beneficial love, okay? It's a little give and take. You do this, I do this. You do this, I do this. It's a conditional love. And then this was the, this was the 
the, the grand finale of the loves. It was agape, agape. Agape is unconditional love. It's unconditional affection. We learned in that series that it's the highest and purest form of love imaginable. And this is the type of love, this agape love is the type of love that God loves you with. Maybe you're here for the first time and you never knew that God loved you like unconditionally. Like meaning like there's no conditions to his love. There's nothing you can do to earn his love more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. He loves you without conditions. It's who he is. He is agape. He is love. Okay, Simon. So what does all this stuff about love and the Greek words for love, what does this have to do with Peter being reinstated? And what does this do, have to do with what you love about Jesus? Okay, well, in this passage, John 21, the reinstatement of Peter, Jesus actually refers to these loves. Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? What he's saying is, is, Peter, do you love me with the purest form of love imaginable? And this is Peter's response. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Ooh. No, 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 Peter. Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I phileo you. And Jesus responds, well, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. But then the third time, when Jesus asks, he changes the question. He says, Simon, son of John, do you flail me? Peter replies, Lord, you know all things. You know that I flail you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. See what's happening in this interaction just below the surface. Jesus is not only reinstating Peter, but he's getting a gauge at where Peter's really at. And even though Peter's not willing to say he's 100% in love with Jesus, Jesus is still willing to come down to his level and meet him where he's at. Peter, do you agape me? I flail you, Lord. No, 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 Peter. <clears throat> do you agape me? I flail you, Lord. All right. Do you flail me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I flail you. Feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, feed my sheep. See, what he's saying is, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? Yes, Lord, I love you, but with conditions. Uh, Peter, do you love me with like a sacrificial love? Yes, Lord, I love you. I'm loving you the best I can right now. All right, Peter. Will you love me as a friend forever? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I will love you as a friend forever. Okay, Simon, I'm a little confused. So what you're saying is what you love about Jesus is that he lowers his standards for us. <laughs> and that's not what I'm saying at all. Jesus doesn't lower his standards for us. He simply accepts us as we are. He receives us and takes us as we are. If you're not a 10 out of 10 in love with Jesus, hear me when I say this, that's okay. Jesus accepts you as you are. You might have come in this place today not feeling 10 out of 10 agape in Jesus. 
You need to, you need to know this. From the, the, the bottom of your heart, he accepts you Wherever you're at, he accepts you. He takes you as you are, and I love that about Jesus. But as much as I love that about Jesus, and as much as, 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 as amazing as that is, that's today not what I want to talk about, about the thing I love about Jesus. You see, even once Jesus heard where Peter was at, that he wasn't all the way in, that he wasn't at agape level of love, he was only at phileo level of love, Jesus still said something every single time, some version of this. He says, Peter, I want you to be my shepherd. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. Now, in case you didn't know, Jesus didn't own a bunch of sheep, okay? He wasn't part of the 4-H club and have all these little like sheep and goats around him, okay? That's, that wasn't his scene. What Jesus was saying was, uh, I want you to take care of my flock, my people. I want you to care for the people that I care about. I want you to shepherd these people like a shepherd takes care of a flock of sheep. What Jesus is saying is, Peter, you just confessed that you don't love me like you should, but I still want to use you. Peter, you just confessed that you're not all the way in, but I still want to include you in my mission. And there it is. That's the truth that I love about Jesus. As your outline says, what I love about Jesus is that he includes us in his mission. That he includes us in his mission. You see, regardless of our love for him, regardless of our pasts or our mistakes or our failures, despite our gifts and our talents, despite where we're even at, he still includes us in his mission. I love that about Jesus. See, even though Peter had denied him and failed him over and over, Jesus still includes him in his mission. Even though Peter wasn't a 10 out of 10 in love with Jesus, Jesus still commissioned him to being a shepherd of his flock. Even though Peter wasn't totally in love with Jesus yet, Jesus still tasked him with the responsibility of joining the fight. You see, my life drastically changed the very first time I felt included in the mission of Jesus. I was 15 years old and my youth pastor told our youth group, hey, we're going on a missions trip to Mexico. And uh, being the super spiritual 15 year old that I was, uh, I didn't care about world missions, I didn't care about evangelism, and I didn't care about Mexicans. I cared that the girl that I liked was on the trip <laughs> and uh, I could go on a week's vacation to Mexico, okay? I don't know if you know, but the sun is amazing in Mexico. So I was like, I'm going on this missions trip for Jesus, but mostly for this girl and the son. And uh, there in Mexico, God got a hold of my heart and my mind like never before. For the very first time in my life, I started to put into practice what I claimed I believed. I'd grown up in a Christian home and, and I claimed I loved Jesus and I, I claimed that he was in charge of my life, but I wasn't serving others. I wasn't sharing my faith. And then there in Mexico, I had an opportunity to actually share my faith for the first time. 
I, I actually got to pray with people and, and had them accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I was like, I'm serving people. We were doing simple things like handing roses out to prostitutes and, and bringing cold cans of pop to people in, in the park just to, as an opportunity, as a, as a bridge into communicating the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And something in my head clicked. Something in my heart changed. Oh, this is what it means to be included in the mission of Christ. I get to do the very same things that Jesus did while he was here. As a follower of Christ, I get to be involved in the work of Christ. And I dove in with both feet. And I've dedicated the last 18 years of my life to serving God by serving others. But you see, I was only a six out of 10 in love with Jesus. When I went on that trip, I was only a six out of 10 in love with Jesus. And if I waited until I was a 10 out of 10, I would never have gone. If I waited until I was full agape, I'd still be waiting. But Jesus, nevertheless, he included me in his mission. And now I have purpose. I have real purpose in my life that I get to serve God by serving others. Okay, back to the story of Jesus. So right after Jesus is having breakfast on the beach with his disciples in John 21, some say a few days later, some say a few weeks later, but it's just a, a short time after that, Jesus is gonna now ascend into heaven. Okay, like this is his final goodbye to his disciples, his like moment of, oh, I'm now floating away. Okay, this is the big moment. And right before he ascends into heaven, he gathers his disciples, his close 12, and he then kind of what we call the Great Commission. He gives this speech, commissioning them into the service, into the, to the work of his ministry. So we're going to pick it up right there. It's in Matthew 28, verse 16. It's on your outline. And in your pew Bibles, it's on page 698 if you want to read along with the Bible in front of you. Okay. Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now we read this passage as the, as the great commission, as the final send out into the work of Christ. But look how the disciples were actually feeling in this moment. In verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. What? You mean, okay, you're doubting the very son of God that, that you profess is the son of God. He is the Christ. You saw him crucified, body buried in the tomb. You, you've seen his resurrected body. You've seen miracles upon miracles upon miracles. And you're still doubting. You're, like, you're not sure. Now, the, the Bible doesn't say who doubted. It might have been Peter. It probably was Thomas. Okay, but we don't know for sure. Look what uh, the message translation says of that same verse. It says, the moment they saw him, they worshiped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. But risking themselves totally. You see, Jesus knows our wavering hearts, yeah? 
He knows where we are, but he still includes us in his mission. Jesus knew that some of these disciples were still doubting, but nevertheless, he goes on to say the great commission. He says, go, therefore go, even though you're doubting, even though you're not all the way there, even though you're only a six out of 10, even though you only phileo me and not agape me, Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Go. If you're here and you feel like you have a wavering heart, you might be struggling with doubt. You might only phileo love Jesus. You need to know this. And this might be the, the, the one thing that you take away. This is the aha moment you came to church for. You are not only accepted as you are, wherever you're at, you're not only accepted as you are, but right now, Jesus wants to include you in his mission. He wants to include you in his mission. And I love that about Jesus. I love that about Jesus. You see, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus uses different words to package the same idea, right? To, to propel us into his mission, into his ministry. In John 21, we read, he says, be, be shepherds of my flock. In Matthew 28, he says, go into the world and make disciples. In Matthew 4, he says, be fishers of men. In Luke 15, he says, leave the 99, go pursue the one. In Matthew 10, he says, I'm sending you out like sheep's among wolves. So heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, and freely you have received, so freely give. In Luke 9, he says, pick up your cross and daily follow me. This is all over the life of Jesus. He uses many terms to describe the very same thing. And what he's saying is this, followers of Jesus, you're included in my mission. If you profess to be a follower of me, you're included in my work. You see, and this goes for, for all of us followers of Christ. We all have a role to play. No one gets to sit this one out. No one. As your outline says, for followers of Christ, when it comes to the mission of Christ, there are no superstars and there are no spectators. For followers of Christ, when it comes to the mission of Christ, there are no superstars and there are no spectators. That means nobody's all left on the sideline. Nobody gets to sit this one out and no one is gonna get all the credit. No one is gonna get all of the glory. We all are role players in the kingdom of God. We all have a role to play and we need to play our role well, all of us. Now, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, wow, Simon, Okay, this is a little on the nose. Like, I get it, okay? I'm a follower of Christ, okay? And now I need to be like a missionary full time. Like, what are you saying? Like, what I gotta like, like, I like tell my coworkers and my neighbors about Jesus? I gotta like, I gotta like give money in the offering? Like, I gotta volunteer in the kids' ministry? Like, what does this mean? Like, what does it mean to be involved in the mission of Christ? It's so daunting and I feel like I'm all alone in this. This can be a pretty overwhelming thing. And if you're feeling a little overwhelmed in this moment, just know that's okay. <laughs> you can feel overwhelmed in this moment. That's, that's okay. Because this is the truth. You are included in his mission. He wants you to stand arm in arm in the mission and the work of Christ. But if you feel alone in this, you don't need to be alone. And this is how I know. Because I have you. 
and you have me. Listen to how the apostle Paul tells the Christ followers in first century Corinth, uh, he tells them this, he says, for we are co-workers, we are co-workers in God's service. We stand arm in arm, one with another in the mission of Jesus Christ. We stand globally with other followers of Christ for the mission of Christ. But not only do we have one another, do you remember what Jesus says in the Great Commission right at the very end? He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, because the authority has been given to me, now I'm giving it to you. He's saying, go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says this, and surely I am with you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. So not only do we have one another, not only do we stand as co-laborers in God's field and as co-workers arm in arm as the global church around the world, but we also have Jesus. He gives us his Holy Spirit and empowers us into the work of Christ. This isn't just for 10 out of 10s. This isn't just for the spiritually elite this isn't for, for only those who are willing to risk themselves totally. This is for anyone and everyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So, this brings me to my big idea. This is the one thing that I want you to hold on to. This is the one truth that I want you just to, like, to ruminate in your brain, to chew on it, meditate on it over and over and over until it impacts your soul. If you've been impacted by the works of Christ, if you've been impacted by the works of Christ, then you've been included into the work of Christ. You've been included into the work of Christ. If he has so changed your life, he's calling you to go change others' lives. You serve God by serving others. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that we are working to earn our salvation. No, 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 okay? We're not working to earn our right standing with God. We don't earn our salvation by works, not at all. I don't work so that I'm saved. I work because I'm saved, you get it? I don't work so that I'm saved. I work in response because I'm saved. Being saved isn't a result of my work. It's a prerequisite to my work. If you have been impacted by the works of Christ, then you have been included into the work of Christ. See, we're not just sinful blobs to be saved and then just to sit here. We are actually welcomed into his service. We are commissioned to do the very same thing that Jesus did when he was here on the earth. I get to work for the eternal work of the most high God. I get that privilege and I love that about Jesus. I love that I'm included in his mission. If you're here today and you've never been impacted by the works of Christ before, meaning you have never accepted the agape love of God that he demonstrated when, when Jesus was crucified and died on the cross for your sins, for your shame, and for your guilt. So you could be set free from the penalty that your own sin has incurred in your life. If you've never accepted that, then you've never been impacted by the works of Christ. But today, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say yes to accepting his agape love, to be impacted by the works of Christ. In just a moment, I'm gonna give you a chance to say yes to Jesus, to his agape love, that he loves you unconditionally. But if you're here and you're already a follower of Christ, 
And today, maybe something's stirring. Just maybe, just, just maybe the Holy Spirit is stirring something in your heart and he's commissioning you for his service. He's calling you to join him in his mission, to stand arm in arm with, with Christ's followers globally for the work of Christ. I'm gonna give you a chance to respond as well in just a moment at the end of the message. But what does that look like for you? If God is calling you and including you in his mission, what practically would you do to respond? Would you share your faith? Would you tell people about the hope you have in Jesus? Would you give re reason and, and evidence for why you believe what you believe? Would you display it with your lifestyle that you are in love with Jesus? Would you, would you go across the world to proclaim that message? Would you go across the street to proclaim that message? Would you go across the cubicle aisle and proclaim that message? Would you start to volunteer, give of your time, your talents, and your treasure? Would you give and, and give generously to the work that God is doing? Would you volunteer with our, our kids' ministry? Would you volunteer with our seniors' ministry? Would you volunteer at our City Reach programs, our Food for Families ministry, our Boxes of Love ministry? Would you, would you give of your time to be included into the mission of Christ? Practically, what does that look like for you? You know, I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you what God is calling you specifically to do. But what is his Holy Spirit placing on your heart now? How could you be included in his mission? You see, once I understood that I was included in the mission of Christ, my life changed forever. I love that about Jesus. It gave me purpose, it gave me direction. And if this uh, message today is terrifying you, again, that's okay. You are not alone. You are accepted as you are, and you are included into the mission of Jesus Christ. <laughs>